0: Good evening everyone. On Monday, that is February 10th, the Church celebrated, the Universal Church celebrated the Memorial of St. Scholastica, Virgin. We know from her life from the dialogues of Pope St. Gregory the Great, who himself was a Benedictine monk before he was elected to the chair of Peter. St. Scholastica was born in the year 480, so right after the fall of the Roman Empire. In central Italy, and her twin brother, of course, was Benedict. They were from a wealthy Roman family, a noble family. Of course, Benedict uh, discerned a vocation to the monastic life, and he founded the first monastery, the first great monastery in the West at Monte Cassino in central Italy between Rome and Naples. At the same time, St. Scholastica, his twin sister, founded one for women five miles away. And in that sense, they are the co-founders of Western monasticism. St. Benedict is referred to as the father of Western monasticism. He's one of the co-patrons of Europe. So we can say, really, that St. Scholastica is the mother of Western monasticism. And the foundation of the first Benedictine monasteries, along with those that succeeded them, you have to realize, meant a great flowering of culture throughout all of Europe. Flowering of prayer, first of all, of the religious life, but also of liturgy, art, music, all kinds of culture. It's one of the great foundations of Western civilization is the monastic life in general and the Benedictines in particular, including all the different Benedictine reforms which took place then later over time. All of that is based on the rule of Saint Benedict, which I recommend to your spiritual reading. It's about this big. I mean, I have a little paperback version. It's many years old, but it's it's very small reading. It's a very simple rule because uh, he kind of kept... That some things are specific, some things he kept general because ultimately then it's up to the abbot to make particular calls and, and rules for specific cases. But uh, I recommend to your spiritual reading The Rule of St. Benedict. As you know, I'm fond of recommending to everyone that they should have their own personal rule of life. Well, one of the great rules of life in Christian history is uh, the rule of Saint Benedict. So you can get some helpful hints for your own life even if you're not called to the monastic life from the rule of Saint Benedict. Now Benedict and uh, Scholastica being being a monk and and a nun, living the monastic life in strict enclosure could not leave their monasteries. However, once a year they were given liberty for uh, for this sort of, um, what do they call it, recreation and to leave the monastery. And so once a year they would meet in a neutral territory between the two monasteries for prayer and for spiritual conversation in common, always accompanied by Benedict accompanied by a couple monks and, and uh, Scholastica accompanied by a couple nuns. St. Gregory the Great in his dialogues where he writes about the life, lives of St. Benedict and St. Scholastica tells this great story. This is their last meeting between Benedict and Scholastica before they died. Scholastica was, accompanied, was accustomed to visiting her brother once a year. He would come down to meet her at a place on the monastery property not far outside the gate. One day she came as usual and her saintly brother went with some of his disciples. They spent the whole day praising God and talking of sacred things. As night fell they had supper together. Their spiritual conversation went on and the hour grew late. The holy nun said to her brother, Please do not leave me tonight. Let us go on until morning talking about the delights of the spiritual life. Sister, he replied, what are you saying? I simply cannot stay outside my cell. When she heard her brother refuse her request, the holy woman joined her hands on the table, laid her head on them, and began to pray. As she raised her head from the table, there were such brilliant flashes of lightning, Such great peals of thunder and such a heavy downpour of rain that neither Benedict nor his brethren could stir across the threshold of the place where they had been seated. Sadly, he began to complain. May God forgive you, sister. What have you done? Well, she answered, I asked you and you would not listen. So I asked my God and he did listen. So now go off if you can. Leave me and return to your monastery. Reluctant as he was to stay of his own will, he remained against his will. So it came about that they stayed awake the whole night, engrossed in their conversation about the spiritual life. Great story from the lives of the saints, as there are so many. And uh, Saint Scholastica died that year, which is 5 for the year 543. So I'd like to share with you some lessons we can learn from the life of Saint Scholastica. As you know, from time to time, I'll give talks on the different lives of the saints, and I think the best way to do that is to conclude with practical. Points, practical lessons we can learn from their lives that can inspire us to live holy lives as well. Lesson number one from the life of St. Scholastica, remember the importance of the monastic life. Right? Because we have to remember that because it's not evident to us. It's not apparent to us because, of course, we are all living the active life in the world unless one of you out there is a rebel monk or nun that should be in your monastery, in your you're here instead, but I hope that's not the case. Because we all live the active life in the world, and because there aren't many monasteries around where we are, although there are some closer than you might realize, um, then we're not accustomed to seeing the monasteries or, or having any exchange with the monks or the nuns, and so we kind of forget about them, right? Remember that the Church is the mystical body of Christ. He is the head, and we are his members, and every member of the body has its own function. Those of us that live the active life in the world, we can say, are like the arms and legs of the body that are visible acting in the world. Those that live the monastic life, we can say, are like the heart and the lungs of the body, that are invisible, that are not seen, and yet through their prayers and their sacrifices are giving life to the whole body, even in an unseen, invisible way. They're the beating heart supporting the body. They're always praying and doing penance for us so we need to remember them and pray for them even though we don't see them. Perhaps you did not know for example that in the Diocese of Arlington there are two monasteries of contemplative women. There is a monastery of Poor Clares in Alexandria not far from St. Louis Parish which is visible from Route 1 in Alexandria and the Poor Clares are the second order of St. Francis of course founded by St. Francis and St. Clair. And uh, they are a mendicant order, one of the original mendicant orders. Mendicants mean they, they simply beg. That comes from the Latin verb mendicare, which is to, to beg. They simply beg and rely on divine providence for what they get. So the poor clares in Alexandria, which just built and inaugurated a new dormitory for novices because they have so many vocations, young vocations. As a matter of fact, uh, one of their sisters just celebrated her 25th anniversary, her Silver Jubilee of Vows. This is a woman who was on the front, that is, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine about 25-30 years ago because she was one of the leading NCAA women's basketball players before she entered the Poor Clare Monastery in Alexandria. Sister Pennafather, I don't remember what her, I don't remember what her, her religious name is now, but her her uh, last name was Pennefather. Look her up. In any event, We have a monastery of poor Clares in Alexandria. They live the original rule of St. Clair of Assisi. That is, they are mendicants. They beg, but they don't go out in the neighborhoods and beg. They beg God, and they live solely on what people just give them. If someone shows up at the monastery with a check for $1,000, they get $1,000. If someone shows up at the monastery with a basket full of oranges, they take the oranges. They live solely and exclusively from what comes through divine providence. Seriously, that's how they live. And they live barefoot, and they live vegetarian, for the rest of their lives, offering these sacrifices for you and for me. And they pray continually for our intentions. As a matter of fact, they will pray specifically for your intentions if you give them their intentions. And they do have a modern way of doing that. I mean, you can go to the monastery and leave your intentions there and write them, or you can talk to the sister that is the extern sister that deals with any visitors that come and ring the bell but they have a phone number and you can call the phone number and there's a you know you get a voicemail and you can say I'm Father Planty calling from St. Charles and I have all these pagan sinners that come every Wednesday night uh, to P3 and I really need you to pray for these kids because they're such a mess so would you please pray for the P3, f- no I'm, I'm just kidding uh, but you know seriously you can call and say you know my aunt is suffering from cancer, my aunt you know Lois is suffering from cancer would you please pray for her and would you please pray for uh, me to find a new job or whatever. Whatever you call them, they will pray for that they got nothing else, I mean, nothing else to do. I mean, they, they've got their, they've got their regular work they do in the monastery, but pretty much their life is devoted to prayer and penance. And they are there to pray for you and for your intentions. So call them and let them know what your intentions are. Better than that, show up at the monastery with intentions and bring them something. Bring them a bag of oranges, bring them a bag of apples, bring them... Don't bring them beef or pork or chicken, because they're vegetarians, right? But bring them something. Bring them a check. They would live solely on what shows up. That's all they live on. Mm -hmm. The other great um, monastery in our diocese is way out in Front Royal, well, in Linden, just before Front Royal. I believe it's exit 13 on 66, which I should know since I used to live out there. And they are the Dominicans. And they are, th- they are cloistered Dominicans. There are different types of Dominican uh, sisters. There are, you've heard of the Nashville Dominicans, which are an active order of Dominican women that live in the world and teach. That's their charism is teaching. Well, there are also contemplative Dominican nuns, such as the Dominicans out in Linden. And there's a monastery at the top of a mountain in Linden, Virginia, not far from 66. You can go out there and visit the chapel. You can buzz and talk to the extern nun, right, the one that is assigned to deal with anyone that shows up at the monastery. But uh, there they are, praying for you. And then there too, you can leave your intentions and just make a visit. Beautiful spot on the top of the mountains. If you get there super early, you get to see the sunrise. Um, But uh, there they are. Remember that the monastic life exists. Remember the importance of the monastic life. It's a challenging life, certainly, But these are women who have joyfully given themselves as brides of Christ for life. They are spiritually wedded to Christ, who is their spouse, and they spend their lives in sacrifice and in prayer for us. So lesson number one from the life of St. Scholastica, don't forget, remember the importance of the monastic life in the life of the Church. They are the beating heart, the unseen heart that gives life to the whole body. Lesson number two, consider a call to the monastic life. This one I'm going to address to the ladies especially. Now obviously guys can also be called to the monastic life but because we're talking about a woman nun saint I'm going to focus on the ladies. Ladies if you're looking for that perfect guy and maybe you're even here for that tonight you probably have your list of qualities you're looking for in a man. I even know some ladies that have actually written down what they're looking for, right? But certainly in your mind, you have, you have your, your list of qualities of the ideal guy that you're looking for. Let me tell you, there's only one perfect man, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Only he will love you totally, perfectly, absolutely faithfully. He will never be playing video games when you're trying to talk to him. He will never be out with the guys when you would rather he was out with you. He will never put time at work before time with you. And you won't spend too much time worrying about how to keep him happy. He's the perfect spouse. And that's why St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, which, you know, it's amazing, no one ever reads or meditates 1 Corinthians 7. Tonight, we're going to read and meditate 1 Corinthians 7. Saint Paul says I wish everyone to be as I am but each has a particular gift from God one of one kind and one of another now to the unmarried and to widows I say it is a good thing for them to remain as they are as I do but if they cannot exercise self-control they should marry for it is better to marry than to be on fire so this is what I think best that it is a good thing for a person to remain as he is Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek a separation. Are you free of a wife? Then do not look for a wife. If you marry, however, you do not sin, nor does an unmarried woman sin if she marries. But such people will experience affliction in their earthly life, and I would like to spare you that. I should like you to be free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy in both body and spirit. A married woman, on the other hand, is anxious about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am telling you this for your own benefit, for the sake of adherence to the Lord without distraction. Says the blessed Apostle Paul in the inspired Word of God. It's funny how they never read this one at weddings, right? (laughs) Married people will experience affliction in their earthly life, and I would like to spare you that. I would like you to be free from anxieties. Think about that. Gentlemen, ladies... Consider being free from anxieties of worldly concerns and not having your heart divided, as St. Paul says, but serving the Lord with your whole being as a monk or as a nun. How awesome would that be, not to worry about all those crazy guys or that one crazy guy, just to be focused on the Lord Jesus all the time, praying, working, praying, working, with Jesus, only Jesus. How awesome is that? Open your heart to that. That is the first calling that every man and woman should consider. As St. Paul says, the end is coming soon. Those that are married should remain faithful to their spouses. Those that are not should be prepared by devoting themselves completely to the Lord Jesus. The first question everyone should ask themselves is, do I have a vocation to the priesthood or to the religious life? to the active life, or to the monastic life. The first question every young Christian should ask themselves is, should I bet the farm and give everything to Jesus in the religious life? If not, well, then maybe, I guess, I'm meant to be married. See, we have it backwards. We think the first question everyone not normally asks themselves is, well, I'm obviously, you know, most people get married, so I'm probably getting married. Well, maybe, maybe I have a vocation to the religious life. We've got it backwards. St. Paul says the first question to ask is, do I have a vocation to the religious life? If not, then, and I can't handle that life, then maybe I'm meant to marry. But we just assume, because more people are married than not, we just assume marriage is the first question we have to ask ourselves. It's the second question. The first question, because it's an objectively higher state in life, given its exclusive total gift of self to the Lord, is do we have a vocation to the religious life? So lesson number two from the life of St. Scholastica, consider whether you might have a calling, ask the Lord in prayer, if he's calling you, to the monastic life, to the religious life. Lesson number three, balance your active life with contemplation. If you're here tonight, again, you're in the active life. Maybe you have a call eventually to the monastic life, but for now you're living the active life in the world. The trick for those who live the monastic life is to balance their prayer with work, right? The trick for us who live the active life in the world is to balance our work with prayer. What is the motto of the Benedictine order, of St. Benedict and St. Scholastica's order? Ora et labora, pray and work. In that order... Right? Prayer comes first, even for those who live the active life in the world. Again, the challenge for the contemplatives is to balance their prayer with work. Our challenge is to balance work with prayer. And that means we need to be intentional about mental prayer and schedule it every day. It should be, you've seen me do this drill before, right? Everything in my phone and my calendar is color coded, right? And, and, uh, do it you guys do the same thing I know I've seen your little I've seen your I've seen I've seen your stuff right you have you have your calendars right you know when you have work meetings and you send the calendar invites and the Google invites and everything everything's all lined up and organized at least most of you I think are pretty well organized from what I've seen I mean you guys are professionals right schedule Jesus in and use this as a spiritual tool you can set all kinds of cool alarms, including the church bells. Right? It's one of the standard, one of the standard ringtones or alarm tones for an iPhone. If you got an iPhone, is uh, is the bells, and it's church bells. Right? How do the monks and no, monks and nuns know when to pray? They're doing their work. They're making their fruitcake, or they're cleaning out the stall. You know, or they're uh, weeding out the garden or whatever. And all of a sudden, the bells start ringing. They stop work it is time to pray. And they must be there. Of course they, they're required under obedience. If they don't, the superior is going to say, why were you not at evening prayer? Why were you not at Vespers? But it's awesome, right? Wouldn't you love to be praying? But they know when to pray because the, they have an orarium, they, they have a whole schedule, and when the bell rings you stop work, it is time to pray. Our lives should be the same, those of us in the active life in the world. We should have our bells set so that when the bell rings, it is time to pray. As my great spiritual director, my former Jesuit spiritual director in Rome, one of the exorcists of the Diocese of Rome, who just last year was elevated to be an auxiliary bishop of Rome, great spiritual father, always said, I've said this to many of you before, if you have to go without lunch, go without lunch, but don't go without your prayer period. So lesson number three, balance your active life with contemplative life. Balance your work with contemplation. Ora et labora, in that order. It's not labora et ora. Prayer should not be an aftersight. And if there's a struggle for you, recommended meditation in your next meditation time, your next, your next lexio time, your next mental prayer period, Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary. where Martha's frazzled because she's putting work first. Mary sits at the Lord's feet and listens to his words. She chooses the better part. Okay, choose the better part. Lesson number four. Gather for prayer, conversation, and meals with spiritual friends. We heard about that great meeting they'd have once a year, Scholastica and Benedict and, and their uh, their companions, right? You do the same. So much of our time is wasted. And actually so many sins are committed because of time we spend In worldly things and including worldly relationships, right? How many of our sins are due to occasions of sin that are caused by hanging out with other people? And I'm not talking about murder necessarily, but even stuff like gossip or impurities or things, you know? These are not true friends, right? Help yourselves to be holy, to know a deep peace and joy by surrounding yourselves with spiritual people true Christian friends who have the same goal you do and encourage you toward that goal. My friends, your most important... I'm always telling married, engaged couples this as they're preparing for marriage. I I say to each one of them, your most important relationship is with Jesus. Your second most important relationship is with your fiancé and future spouse. And that relationship, like every other relationship, should serve your relationship with Jesus. Your first job in life fiancé is to get yourself to heaven. Your second job in life is to help your spouse get to heaven and then to get help your children get to heaven. But it's the case with all of us. Our first job in life is to get ourselves to heaven by the grace of God. And so all of our other relationships should serve that relationship, our relationship with Jesus, right? Surround yourself with those people. Surround yourself with people where you're going to get together and, yeah, you're having a meal, enjoy a dinner, have a glass of wine, have a cocktail, but the conversation is such that you don't want to have to go home because you're talking about such great, beautiful, spiritual, awesome things that are the focus of our lives, right? Like Benedict and and, uh, Scholastica, they didn't want to tear themselves apart from that conversation. Mm -hmm. Be intentional about it. Again, like the prayer. Gather for meals, go on hikes, take road trips, little day pilgrimages planned with prayer in them. Say the rosary together, right? Or one of the hours of the Liturgy of the Hours and conversations about edifying and spiritual things. Tell your friends, this is what we want to do. We're gonna have fun but we're gonna pray together. We're gonna have a conversation about this topic. Be intentional about it. So that's lesson number four. Gather for prayer, conversation, and meals with spiritual friends. And finally, lesson number five. Never ever ever, ever, never, ever. What am I gonna say? What would Winston Churchill say? Give up. But that's not what I'm talking about. Never, ever, ever, never forget the power of prayer. Again, the temptation for those of us that live the active life in the world is to focus on the material and the worldly and to forget the power of the spiritual. The grace of God is the greatest power in the universe. Here in Washington, D.C., where so much of the talk is always about power and different types of power and military power and soft power and judicial power and legislative and executive power, the greatest power in the universe is the grace of God, which is why prayer is powerful. Saint Scholastica had a holy desire. And what did she do? She, no pun intended, pun intended, stormed the gates of heaven with prayer. And what happened? She got a storm, which answered her prayer, right? The, met- the lesson is, never forget the power of prayer. Ask for the grace that you desire. He's not going to give you a stone if you ask for bread. He's not going to give you a snake if you ask for a fish. He commands you, ask, seek, knock. Ask for the grace you desire. Peace, joy, purity, patience, humility, kindness. Healing, deliverance from temptation, deliverance from a demon, uh, control of a passion. Ask for the grace that you desire. As St. Thomas Aquinas teaches, because of course, why are we asking? He knows what we need. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what we want. Why does he tell us to ask and seek and knock? As St. Thomas teaches, because God has determined, God whose will is unchangeable. It's not like God, like, hmm, maybe I should change my will and do what, yeah. God has determined from all eternity that certain things will only be granted because we persevered in prayer. It can be a test of test of the virtue of hope, a test of that confidence in God, especially when you desire something which is good and holy, and you persevere in prayer, and you persevere in prayer, and you don't get it, and you don't get it, and you don't get it. The conversion of a relative, the overcoming of a passion. God has determined from all eternity that certain things will only be granted because we've persevered in prayer. So never forget the power of prayer. Look at the witness of sacred scripture. Look at the history of the lives of the saints. What did they put first? Jesus in prayer. So let's review the lessons from the life of St. Scholastica. Lesson number one, remember the importance of the monastic life. Remember they're out there. Pray for them, visit them, be generous to them. Lesson number two, consider a call to the monastic life. There are a lot of worse things you could do. (laughs) Consulting. (laughs) IT consulting. (laughs) Um, Consider a call to the monastic life. Lesson number three, balance your active life with contemplation. Be intentional about prayer. Lesson number four, gather for prayer and conversation and meals with spiritual friends. Lesson number five, never, ever, 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 ever never forget the power of prayer. And again, a final point, remember some good spiritual reading, cheap, cheerful, short, profound the rule of St. Benedict. May God be praised. Amen.